You're listening to Podcast BXN, a video game podcast delivering player experience news. Let's go. What's up, guys, and welcome to Podcast PXN, episode 232. I am one of your hosts, Daniel Prindle, a.k.a. Dan is DTM on Twitter, and I am joined over Discord by the Nintendo aficionado and artist extraordinaire, Roshan Warner, at Roro. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, indeed. The host of Large Popcorn and Video Essayist, Fuck, I'm so used to your old thing. Video producer at Dual Shockers, Christian Macias at underscore ISO Christian. I, I can't play taps, but I'll play this. <laughs> Folks, Malevolent Creek has fallen. We must bring our soldiers home. Incredible. Incredible. And the heroic Helldiver and fellow Spartan Gage Dempster at Gilbo Biggins. I'm reporting for duty. Democracy, it'll only die if we let it. And we will not let it happen. Thank you to everyone watching us live and participating in the chat. Just as a reminder, we are live each and every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time on youtube.com slash at podcast PXN and twitch.tv slash podcast PXN as well. The topic of the show this week is how do we fix AAA gaming? All these layoffs are happening. We're going to talk about those in our topic of the show. Uh, a lot of bad shit happening. But first, the show always starts with the quick bites, so let's go ahead and jump right in. But wait a minute, what's this? Before we get to the quick bites, we have an important announcement from Podcast PXN. We have a very serious item to talk about, guys. And uh, unfortunately, we're reporting to our shareholders and we're not making enough money, so we have to cut 25% of our staff Gage, I'm sorry you were the last one to join, so it's been real, you know? It's been real. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Fuck the shareholder. Oh, see you, Gage. Yeah. I did it for you. I did it for him. (laughs) Incredible. Uh, Incredible for audio listeners. Gage was kicked from the Discord call, and now he's back. Yeah. Who gave him his employee card? How'd he get back in here? <laughs> How'd he revoke that? Somebody didn't yeah. do their job. Shit. All right. Anyways, sorry. Moving into the quick bites. Pal World has hit 25 million players, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a month since Pal World has been released, and Steam has 15 million players, Xbox at 10 million players. So Hell Divers killing it. Pal World doing well. I'm one of those, but only because of work. But I think I'm finally done after this week. Says the still, man. Still playing it, eh? Reluctantly, yes. Oh my god! The more I play of it, the more, like the more I think, yeah, this isn't a game. Right, <laughs> you know? Right. Remember that first couple weeks where you guys were fucking messaging like nonstop. Power. Let's let's go. Let's get our server see, going. Did, incubation. Did you see the incubation time? Yeah. It was, it was fun at first. It was, it was goofy. <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Not What's not incredible is this next news. Marcus Lado, of 
course, the father of Master Chief, co-creator of Halo, has left Ridgeline Games and EA. Uh, and here's from Marcus uh, directly. Yes, I left EA on my own accord. This was a very tough. I don't know if I could speak. A very tough decision for me to make. I want to thank the Battlefield community for allowing me to listen to you while I was able. Your feedback will help make Battlefield stronger. I wish the teams at EA all the best going forward. More to come on this. Yeah, probably the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, good news coming from Helldivers. Helldivers 2 is now able to handle all players. The developers shared an update. They've been working on the server issues, expanding servers, giving more servers, and they have now officially declared the weekend a success with the game servers handling all players without a problem this past weekend. Very good news for Helldivers. And we I mean, hold on. We say Sorry. this, and yet you log into the game, and all the boots are on the terminate ground. Do you know what I mean? Mm. All the, what are all these players worth if none of them are boots on the ground on the, on the automaton side? <laughs> right. Everyone's scared of the automatons. It is, yeah, it is. It is so much harder. <laughs> I would be careful because I don't know what the ramifications are of criticizing fellow hell divers, like when it comes to democracy and stuff no. like that. Like I, <laughs> did you Christian, see? Like a... I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but also like you're live, so maybe be careful, right? Did you see? There's a bounty on uh, one hell diver. <laughs> no. <laughs> so there's this dude who like, there was an article that came out about there. There's a lot of people that don't understand that resources that you earn in a, in a dive is for everyone like everyone keeps the resources right so a bunch of people have been like team killing and then taking the resources before boarding and it's like well now we just lost xp because not all of us extracted there was one dude who was streaming who kept team killing and stealing resources quote unquote and so somebody made a tiktok about him as like a like this fellow hell divers like there's a bounty on this dude look out for him you see him <laughs> kill him rogue hell diver that's amazing this community is awesome insane insane what what can help us against the automatons you may ask well apparently mechs are good to go for hell divers too uh according to tcmf games on twitter uh reddit user fozzy e18 has revealed that they've had access to the upcoming mech suit they shared a video showcasing gameplay of the mech suit According to the Helldivers Discord staff, they said that mech suits have been good to go for a while. Mechs, uh, mechs have been good to go for a while. There's still additional polishing being done by people who can't assist with server issues. Uh, Fozzy E18 also mentions an energy RPG coming, a meteorite that hits like the nuke. Heck yeah. A group of Helldivers you can call in to support you, which are NPCs. And more is coming. Uh, they say also they're excited for this update to drop. This sounds very cool. I can't wait. I can't wait. See, you guys can tell me, but are there any other vehicles in the game, or is this the first one that's coming? Because there's I no know... vehicles. Yeah, first okay. one. Yeah. That's that's cool though, because the original had a couple of different ones. So that's cool that they might, you know, update it in the future. That's exciting to me because, like, I I have not played Helldivers one at all, so I didn't really have any expectations of any vehicles. I just thought this was kind of the game. Yeah. So not only is is the fact that mechs are coming, but Rose saying that there's even more vehicles that could possibly show up, it gets me very excited because I think certain elements of this game, like 
like the the backpack reloading your buddy when he's got an RPG out, like stuff like that just feels fun. So like I can only imagine the the possible possibilities yeah. with like vehicles and stuff like that. So there was I think there was like uh, I think there was a tank, but there was something else that more than one person could drive. I think where there's like a turret and somebody drives. So like just like you're saying with the the rocket launcher, you could have multiple people operating a single vehicle, which that's so cool. Sounds well, I could be perfect for how they have this game now the third person and stuff yeah that's awesome hell yeah hell yeah up next microsoft is apparently preparing to announce its direct sr which the sr stands for super resolution uh support for windows next month so uh, this could be possibly an indication of where Microsoft may be leaning into for next-gen consoles, and even this might actually be a big deal for uh, all the handheld um, PC devices that we're getting now, uh, like the Legion Go and um, Ray, what are the other ones? I already Steam. Well, not yes, Steam. It. ROG Ally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So maybe this will uh, help out those devices and beef up some resolution using ai scaling everything's ai you can't escape it That's everything true. everything is ai unfortunately speaking of ai daniel what oh oh yes that's exactly the next item i have in the uh in the uh quick bites right here game Sense has announced that they are building a device that releases sense during gaming. Thanks, Jeff, for posting this on Twitter. Jeff Keeley posted this. <laughs> I'm just like, what the fuck? Uh, sophisticated AI releases real sense alongside your gameplay, including smells of gunfire, explosions, racing, storm, forest, and upgradable DLC sense include napalm, human exertion, ocean, and a golf course. Um, yeah, you can pre-order it now for one forty nine ninety nine. I will not be doing that. I, dude, I love the smell of racing when I'm just playing. When I'm playing racing games, I always wish I could smell racing. Asphalt? And now, dude, it's incredible. The smell of a golf course was a DLC. Does that just mean outside? Like, does that just? Does I, that just? I don't know. You can simulate that... fresh air while you're playing video games. This is ridiculous. And Dan and I were talking. Uh, off the podcast and but like what's the ramifications like physically like what are these what is this thing releasing into the air yeah <laughs> as well if it's trying to replicate like napalm and gunpowder i don't know if i i don't know if i'd go for this one there's an there's an area in elden ring um where you go through the sewers of Lanedale capital oh, and no. you keep going down to the bottom and you like enter like this area where it's just like full of like a, a like ankle deep still water of just excrement so it'd be pretty cool to smell shit while you play Elden Ring. Would it? Would really it be? Myself. <laughs> really cool. Disgusting, disgusting. I ain't going down there. If, I, if that thing's releasing that scent, I ain't going down there. Uh, <laughs> our next quick bite: the PlayStation Five version of Pentiment, which was just released uh, by Microsoft, of course, the company that makes Xbox. Uh, runs at 120 it was me being facetious the game runs at 120 fps on ps5 compared to 60 fps on xbox 
which later Tom Warren followed up his tweet to say, Obsidian has confirmed to me that the 120 frames per second option for Pentiment was planned to release at the same time on Xbox alongside the PS5 launch, but a bug has delayed the update. So there you go. Kind of the first, first of its kind that a game runs better on PlayStation that's made by Microsoft. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. This news right here is about to get Row going. Pokemon Legends ZA has been announced and it is coming on Nintendo Switch systems in 2025. Yeah. Yeah, Pokemon Legends. Z um, I honestly don't know how it's pronounced. I'm, I'm not sure if it's ZA or Z-A, something weird like some Kingdom Hearts title. But I, I like Pokemon Legends Za because it sounds <laughs> funny. But uh, yeah, this is cool. I, I love the the Legends Arceus game that came out, I guess, two years ago at this point, maybe one year. Um, and I'm glad that they're making more because I really like that that style of gameplay. This is a, a Kalos remake or revisiting, which is the X and Y um, region. Uh, not something that anybody was expecting, but a lot of Pokemon fans are happy that they're doing it. So I'm excited that they're doing it as well. And I'm excited that they're taking the year off to make this uh, maybe not as good as they can, but at least they're taking a year off, which is something they usually don't do. Um, so yeah, that's that's exciting. Hopefully they get it a little bit more polished than the last Pokemon game that came <laughs> out. Heck yeah. Let's get back into catching some Pokemon in the high grass. And it might be a Switch 2 title, maybe. That, that could be why that it's... That is delayed too. I didn't think of that, but true. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. Yeah. What else tracks? Play Dead has updated its Twitter header and avatar for their next game. Of course, they are hard at work at a uh, brand new third-person sci-fi adventure game. A lot of people were dubbing it as Outside when they first showed the first screenshot. Uh, so now we got a little bit more of a glimpse at this game, and people are excited. Hell yeah. I think this is the one time I didn't do a prediction at the beginning of the year for it, because <laughs> I feel like every year, like, it's going to be this year. They're probably not going to announce it, or, or release it this year, obviously, but hopefully this year they actually do announce it like uh, like we're expecting now. We're right. Somebody, somebody pointed out that Play Dead... Um at the rate they release games is pretty much a once per generation yeah oh is that i, mean, I don't know if that's true i don't know if limbo was ps3 or ps4 it was um, ps3 360 okay yeah on that cost yeah because then it was remastered for ps4 you're right yes was it really yeah. wow yeah. yeah and then inside was yeah it was ps4 so this would be you know ps5 and xbox 720 or whatever the fuck sorry <laughs> series x s sorry uh and <laughs> not kidding and uh yeah man they, they these guys make they take their time to make one game and every time they release it it's like one of the best of the generation inside is is like for me is an s tier uh, game will always be and seeing two screenshots of their next one has me super geeked it looks so gorgeous dude oh yeah looks very good we're all excited to see more christian's very excited about this movie crossover i, I don't know i just i filled that in Christian's probably not excited, but I'm going to fill that in for him. Paranormal Activity franchise has returned in 2026 with a brand new game. This brand new game is being developed 
from Dread XP and the Mortuary Assistant developer Brian Clark. Uh, the game will feature an advanced haunt system for maximum terror. Uh, this game will bring the franchise's <laughs> groundbreaking found footage style to horror enthusiasts in surprising new ways, immersing them in a story that expands upon the lore and the world of the films. Dread XP co-director and creative director Brian Clark, the developer of the acclaimed Mortuary Assistant, and is leading the development. So are we excited about this? I don't really know what this means. Maximum Terror. All I know is that there was a rumor that uh, the phasmophobia is coming to consoles pretty soon. I think that was confirmed by the developers that it's coming to consoles soon. So we're going to have some some more ghost hunting games uh, in the mix all together. One of them with an established IP. We'll see if it fares well. Right. I'm curious what his uh, groundbreaking introducing found footage into video games means, because I'm pretty sure a decade ago we got uh, The Outlast, which was pretty much you walking around with a video camera and doing a found footage oh. thing. So they might be a little late to the party on that and bringing found footage to video games. But um, this is, uh, I guess this is cool, has the potential to be cool. I don't know. I also, my, my head canon is that Brian Clark is the name of a studio with like, you know, 15 people in it. <laughs> I, I guess the coolest thing this game could do would be to like utilize microphones and cameras that are like on my device for something interesting but i don't know how they would do that you know right if it's real life footage like show me sitting in my room somewhere and like a ghost is behind me but that's it's just right. like creepy. fake or something you know <laughs> like right in the, your your hall right there with that that door open it's darker behind you that's, all, that's actually pretty yeah. ominous now that you pointed out yeah, yeah. Would... creepy all right well Let's move aside from the creepiness, I guess. I don't know. That's my best segue. Uh, David Vonderhaar has announced a brand new studio, Bullet Farm. Uh, of course, he's the former Call of Duty Black Ops developer, uh, worked at Treyarch for a long time. Uh, this studio is being uh, based in Los Angeles, and it's the remote first Los Angeles-based studio. So apparently he's going to be focusing on a remote studio that would be interesting uh backed by NetEase and is on the hunt for staff they're working on an ambitious new triple a game set in an original universe with an emphasis on cooperative gameplay this unannounced new game is built using unreal engine 5 and will craft a more intimate and relatable experience while offering a fresh take on first person gameplay there we go Gage is happy. Treyarch, somebody from Treyarch is doing something that's it's good. It's exciting. Treyarch is probably the best Call of Duty studio in my opinion. And the fact that he this guy is leaving this to make a PVE first person shooter tells me that this this guy probably has something to do with Nazi zombies. And if they're building a whole game around that, color me excited. That could be cool. That could PVE be cool. shooting, baby. I, PVE shooting. I, it's it's that era. Thank God, and thank God for it. I think PvP, yep. I'm getting tired of PvP. It's still fun, you know, like, BattleBit Remastered had its moment for me. Like, that was that was awesome. But, like, when I want to sit down and have, like, a fun time with the lads, like, I'm, I'm mostly thinking about PvE stuff now, like Lethal Company and, you know, Helldivers and stuff like this. Yes. Hell yeah. Well, you know what you are excited for, Christian, though? Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Why do you keep using but me? 
as the segue. I don't know. Because <laughs> you're the last one talking. It's, it's, yeah. It's, I see a pigeon and then I'm like, pigeon. I don't know. That was, anyways. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Square Enix has uh, mislabeled all the Japanese versions of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Apparently, all the discs that say, uh, that are supposed to say the play disc actually were printed with data disc, and all the data discs were printed with play disc. Confusing everyone. <laughs> incredible. What a, what, a, what a mistake to be made. That's incredible. <laughs> Oh I added two more Final Fantasy 7 stories. Yes. Uh, the other one is that um, they updated Remake, the first FF7. Um, they updated it to change a line, which is like Aerith's oh, last nice. line, which in the original, when the game release version was, I miss the steel sky. And in the update is Aerith saying, the sky, I don't like it. Um... Which is weird. They said that it's supposed to be for better localization, like it's a better translation of the original Japanese version, the original script. But I think it makes for a weaker like line to end on. I miss the Steel Sky just has like more of like poetic ramifications that I think the sky I don't like it just doesn't hit as hard, despite it, despite the translation being close, close closer to the original. It's kind of weird. And then a fun one, after you unlock the bikini suits in FF7 Rebirth, uh, you can play the rest of the game in those sets. So Cloud, Barrett, Tifa, Aerith can all be play, played in, in swimsuits. Have fun. <laughs> you will. Oh, Incredible. my God. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, what's not wonderful, though, Ro? is Resident Evil 4's QA Disaster. This is, of course, the remake, not the original game that came out in 2004, in case anyone was really confused about that. Uh, <laughs> but apparently, according to a new documentary, we've gotten some more details uh, about QA. So at the time of filming the episode, Resident Evil 4 remake had one month left in development, one month before its release date. With a slew of QA issues that needed to be addressed, one development team member disclosed that they found around 70 bugs after finishing just one day of playtesting. Resident Evil 4 Remake Director Yasuhiro Anpo detailed several bugs from the screen freezing at random points to Leon falling from the map. At this rate, we won't make release, Anpo said in the episode. Uh, the episode goes into detail of the activities of QA testers during the game development, delving into the extensive gameplay testing to ensure proper functionality. But I just thought this was insane that a month before the game is out and they had 70 bugs that this tester found in one day. Like, that's insane. That's crazy. Yeah, really working down to the to the wire. And the fact that they actually got it out is also insane. Like they said, they didn't think that they're going to make release. Yeah, and they did, which is it's crazy. But yeah, it turned out to be oh, Christian, you're muted, I think. But at what cost? Let me see the hours they worked. Right. Yeah, mm, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. 
uh, some good news here for Christian and I and nobody else. Remedy acquires full rights to control from 505 Games. They wrote up a contract and got control of control. Let's go. That was, I like that. Yeah. Uh, I think something came out today as well that... um. Uh, somebody was somebody from Remedy was talking about how the success of Alan Wake Two has pretty much freed them up to do kind of yeah whatever they wanted to do next, which is uh, exciting. Um, pretty cool. Alan Wake going from cold classic to now a game that enabled the studio to just kind of have free reign to do whatever they want. Yeah, and it takes place in the same universe as Alan Wake, so very that shit was so exciting to me. Cool. Yeah, Alan Wake Two. Yeah. And it wasn't like overbearing either. It was just like very subtle, you know. The it, holy shit, there's a machine here from um, the FBC. What yeah. the fuck are they doing here? Yeah, yeah. very cool. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't. Was this this week too? Because someone else commented that From acquired Elden Ring from Namco. Was that recent? Was last week. Oh, that was last, was last week. week. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Very cool. We love seeing the developers own their stuff instead of publishers. Yeah. And we move to our last quick bite, and that comes from the beautiful words of Ubisoft, of course. They are announcing that they have record engagement, player engagement since launch for Skull and Bones, but they've provided us with absolutely no data to <laughs> back that up. Trust us. Just trust us. Trust yeah. me, bro. <laughs> trust me, bro. In fact, actually, we know the number of people playing Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag rose 200% on Steam after the release of Skull and Bones. So instead of actually generating excitement for Skull and Bones, I think they ex- generated excitement for a 10-plus-year-old game. My God. It's the same thing that happened with Suicide Squad where... Um each of the Arkham games individually had higher concurrent numbers than Kill the Justice League. Right. Incredible. It's almost like designing a game around trend chasing will net you an inferior product. It's true. But unfortunately, I mean, apparently, Golden uh, Bones is like uh, this. It, it, it's so unfortunate that this is the game that Ubisoft has deemed super successful. Is that this? This right. <laughs> amalgamation of of live service elements and past game elements that they've kind of crammed into these (laughs) products over the past decade i don't know that's super unfortunate but yeah and not the uh the prince of persia game that just came out right exactly Mm, yes good point which i which unfortunately it it wasn't because it didn't sell super well i think we did a story on that but it does suck like gage said that that's the game that that supposedly did numbers for them Unfortunate. I I bought it. I bought Prince of Persia. Hell yeah! I haven't, play, I haven't I'm played. I'm doing it. my part. <laughs> <laughs> played right. over ten hours. I ended up bouncing out because I didn't think it was as good as a Metroidvania as the other ones I preferred. But it's still good, and it's you know focused on other games. Well, for a game of that genre, I feel like ten hours is a pretty decent amount of time to put in to spend with it. That's it's, true. It was like a thirty-hour game. Yeah, it's a long game. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's run over some street meat. We're hungry. We need to 
put some on the grill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, street meat number one. Switch two is reportedly launching in March of 2025 at the earliest. Uh, so about the same time frame as the the original Switch, uh, possibly. And they're apparently doing it to ensure adequate supply and prevent scalping, but also to give more time to developers, uh, according to various people. Um, and then also we got a little bit of a leak sort of as well that Samsung has announced next generation micro SD cards with SSD like speeds that may have possibly been developed for Nintendo. Um, essentially Samsung said that the, the development was result of a successful collaboration with a customer being very vague there to create a custom product. Um, so we could get some, uh, micro SD innovate innovation coming out of the switch needing faster storage speeds. So that's very cool. As long as they're not proprietary. True. Yeah. I'm excited for a next generation to switch, by the way. Are you ready for it? Don't get me wrong. I'm still getting like my money's worth out of this thing. I can't believe it. You know, like every year there's at least one, maybe sometimes two games coming out on that switch that like, wow, this is one of my favorites of this gen or this year. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see what a switch two can do for the likes of, you know, a new Mario, new Donkey Kong, new Zelda, new Metroid. Oh, yeah. New one two switch. <laughs> Maybe launching with a 3D Mario, right? Maybe. Who knows? Only one person knows. Miyamoto. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure a lot more people know. <laughs> they don't actually know they're making a Mario game. They yeah, just play with blocks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, what am I doing? doing? <laughs> Alright. Our last street meet item... There's rumors on the next Battlefield game. More excitement here from Battlefield. We got Battlefield. We got, you know, Marcus left, of course. That's sad, but Battlefield. The next Battlefield is planned for October 2025, Gage, and will feature 64-player matches, four-class system, destruction. We'll have a free-to-play Battle Royale mode at launch. Uh, or, I'm sorry, it doesn't say at launch, but I'm, I'm kind of projecting that. Uh, game is also set in the modern era, 2025 to 2020, 2030, and this is coming from Insider Gaming. So, does that excite you, Gage? You're the resident Battlefield um, bad boy. I am. I, uh, yeah, I guess I'm excited. It's funny. I feel like the the setting is a bit odd because I feel like Battlefield 2042 is essentially modern modern day. Mm. Like that's pretty close, mm -hmm. and. Uh, so, are they gonna have are they gonna have less futuristic stuff slightly in a in a game set in twenty thirty or twenty twenty five? Like I don't know, that's a bit weird. I was kind of hoping that they might go balls to the wall and kind of do twenty one forty two, like a, a reboot of of that game, which is very popular and has a cult following. Um, yeah, this I mean it's interesting. It's it's we'll see uh, we'll see how it shakes up the the free to play battle royale. I, f I have a feeling is gonna be dead on arrival. Um, as was their, what was it called? Firestorm, Firestorm. or something like that, that yeah. they made for Battlefield 5, which uh, uh, obviously did not last very long. So we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I think I, I think we should root for a, uh, a Battlefield game to have a really good uh, Battle Royale because I think that 
the the game lends itself to that genre, I guess. It's mm. just that we're running into the problem that battle royales are kind of at the end of their time in the sun. So I don't know, but it, it does kind of suck that battle battlefield never had a really good competent battle royale with the destruction and, and how they do things like levolution. Like, I feel like the, it's just kind of there similar to halo. Like Dan and I talk about halo that I feel like the, the recipe is kind of there, but at the same time, I think they might be past their moment. So we shall see. Is it, uh, again, is this one of those things where it's a battle royale, but really it's an extraction shooter or something? I don't know. We'll see. But color me interested in Battlefield. The formula for Battlefield has always been great. I always wanted to do well. I think the issue for me is, is uh, like, how, how does DICE support a ongoing Battle Royale game and the base game at the same time? Because, like, Call of Duty does it, but they have a thousand million developers all working on on it. So, yeah, I think that's why, partially why Firestorm wasn't that, you know, well-received because they didn't right. continuously, like, add stuff to it. It's interesting that you bring that up because the last game that I can... So, obviously, Battlefield 4, I think, in the history of AAA shooters, might have the best post-launch support ever because mm. that game had a million dlcs and after i think after the two-year cycle or whatever it was a lot of those dlcs were free that they that they gave out before a lot of people started doing that um but also battlefield one had an incredible post-launch support they did things classic like you had to pay for the dlc installments they were like you know 15 bucks or whatever each one but i remember they had like at least three or four different themed dlcs that and they added a, a couple of new factions that you could play as and i remember they added horses in one of them like you could run around with a horse and have a spear so like battlefield is not like it's not new to them to have really great post-launch support but for the last couple of of titles they've really struggled so it'd be interesting i'd be interested to know what changed at the studio again as we'll talk about later almost certainly not <laughs> the developer's choice i'm sure this has to do with uh big wigs coming in telling them what to prioritize but uh yeah it's kind of sad to see to see battlefield kind of fall like this because you're right now current battlefield i'm worried can they actually support both of these but i mean if we were to dip back to 2016 or before then i would have no worries at all so it's uh yeah it's definitely unfortunate how studios can change like that i think the thing that excites me the most about a new battlefield is when i think back to Battlefield 4, as Gage just mentioned. That one felt like a true next-generation experience when that launched back on, you know, new hardware at the time, PS4 and uh, Xbox Xbox One consoles. 2042, I think, launched at a time where it was like at the end of that console's life cycle, but not quite next-gen for the next generation of consoles. So it kind of wasn't that like weird middle ground where it's like, it's not really a next-gen game per se. It's not like, sure, you might get some improved frame rates and stuff, but it's not fully using the capabilities of new hardware having this be at like what you would call like the end of like the first wave of these consoles i think is exciting for me and like what can they do with levolution on that mm. front you know in terms of like loading into games and stuff like what kind of destruction and what kind of maps can they design around that that to me i think is gonna be like the make or break for a return to, to battlefield and then having the devs like after 2042's kind of meandering launch them kind of refocus like what a battlefield experience should be for the next game like yeah it sucks that they had to do that for 2042 like to, to focus on the next one but the good news is well they are focusing on this one and hopefully it'll be a super sick ass game that we all jump into and have fun oh yeah 
Let's get some evolution. And maybe, you know, the finals is a little bit of a taste of what we may see from that because that's a next gen game, right? That's not on previous gen, right? True. No, the, the tech yeah. is definitely built around next gen. Yeah. And not just a taste, but like, in my opinion, like healthy competition. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. All right. That's our uh, that's our quick bites and our street meets. No PXN news of the week. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you came for that, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, moving into our fantasy draft check-in, we have a check-in here, gents. But cool. the thing is, we still don't have any new pickups. However, we've got some new stuff that has released um i don't think did we talk about penny's big breakaway last week getting a score yet it didn't have a score yet okay last week and penny's big breakaway for euro now has a score of 78 which is gaining you eight points right now um but that's not what we're here to talk about we're here to talk about Roe having final fantasy 7 rebirth with a 93 medic open critic score and it is not finalized yet but when that baby finalizes that will be 26 points Jeez. headed your way damn incredible <laughs> oh god i hope it stays that way i'll be happy if Roe wins i mean Roe's literally running away with it right now <laughs> i mean for now for yeah now. 10 months to go yes. once yeah. once that 26 points gets added Roe will be at 80 points and we're in fucking we're almost to march that's it 80 points here's the thing here's the thing if gage wins it's like hell yeah you know what he had two bad years he fucking turned it around and he crushed it good for him <laughs> if Roe wins it's like okay well the best of us actually earned it like finally like <laughs> right hell yeah Roe Ro deserves it if dan wins fuck that this game's rigged it sucks <laughs> the villain wins again the thing is that what I'm scared about is that I don't have counter picks yet. And the longer the mm. time goes by, right? The more better games comes out and the more the scores are already finalized. And I don't want to pick any of the games that you guys already have right now. So I'm I'm very scared about that. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully it's not enough though. Honestly, I th I think we're going to have to start thinking about what games are not going to come out this year. Mm -hmm. Cuz that's that's the key, I think. A lot of good stuff this year. All right. So that's our check-in there. Let's do another quick check-in with Halo, the series on Paramount. Gage and I have watched episode four. Uh, I will say I was very excited, very hyped for episode four. I will say it didn't probably, it probably didn't quite hit my, uh, hype expectations but i was also expecting it to uh cover more of what we didn't see in terms of reach falling which i think we're gonna see more of next episode so i think they kind of uh expanded it out more into more episodes i don't know if you've seen the teaser yet for episode five yet gauge but it looks like they're gonna continue the you know the fighting into the next week as well um so yeah, very very excited for tomorrow's new episode. But episode four was solid. Uh, yeah, 
and the elites, oh, fucking Arbiter, fucking just ripping, spoiler alert, Arbiter just ripping a dude's head off with the energy sword or slicing it in half. That was pretty cool. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I was thinking about it. I was thinking about how I'm gonna how I'm gonna say this. Um, Halo season two. This is if I could sum it up in one sentence. This is how I feel about Halo season two. Halo season two is inconsistently great. I feel like is is my tagline for this series. There's still a lot of dialogue issues. There's still a lot of pacing issues. Characters saying one thing and in the next scene they're conveniently doing something else. But when this hits, it's it hits. Um, when the fall of Reach starts, there's this awesome scene with Chief and this Marine character who they're kind of building up to be Chief's, like, uh, I don't know, he's caring after this character, this just regular-ass Marine. They're running through the city center, and people just start getting, like, tossed, and you mm. don't really see what it is, and then you realize that it's just cloaked elites that are invisible and that the invasion has started. It's such a cool way to start the invasion without some sort of big wide shot of ships descending or something like that. He's just kind of walking through the city yeah. and suddenly people, civilians just start getting thrown through glass. And you're like, what's going on? And it's that's the part of Halo that I really wish they'd lean more into is that to the average person, the Covenant are like monsters. They're like these forces of nature that you just can't comprehend. So certain things about it were awesome. Am I a little bit upset? that we saw the fall of reach without any of the Spartans in their armor. Like, yeah, that kind of stings a little bit, <laughs> but the, at the same time, I can't get too mad because the reason that they have it for the, for the lore makes sense. I, I think the character that they're building up to be the villain, the human character that they're building up to be the villain is pretty good. Um, yeah. An inconsistently great episode. I would say Th there are some moments that were awesome. Uh, I tweeted about some that Dan saw and, you know, we, we agree on probably those and then yeah. some other things that we wish might have been handled better, but McKee and McKee. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a big sore spot. But yeah, uh, inconsistently great is what I would say about Halo season two. And I'm excited about uh, I hope this next episode is is just as action heavy because that would that would balance out the uh, this episode. I think if they split this across two episodes, it would be pretty good. Indeed, indeed very interested to see how they conclude the fall of reach will it actually fall i'm just kidding right. it will fall it's hard hard not to be excited about that as a halo fan finally seeing that in live action that's the big thing right it's it's, yeah. it's a huge event in the lore so pretty cool stuff for sure for sure i will talk about this right now in what you got for me daniel Daniel has been, yes, Gage, I've been watching Arcane due to Gage just fucking begging every day. I finally resubscribed to Netflix, and I was like, all right, I'll start watching it. So I've watched the first four episodes of Arcane, and it is very good so far. I've very, very much enjoyed it. And, of course, I know nothing about League of Legends, which I know you don't have to know anything about them. Um, but, yes, they've done a really great job with character development already in the series. Um, and, like, the animation, like you were always gushing about, Gage is really good, top-tier uh it's very clear to me how how much detail they put into that and and effort they and they actually cared about working on this right. which is very cool um yeah it's really great thus far i'm i'm excited to continue continue watching it keep it going some sad moments you know you're just getting started buddy you're just getting started <laughs> episode four please that's a pipe dream so far oh god 
Uh, what else do I have for you? Uh, Halo Epitaph, I felt like I should shout out because that is the newest book that just came out by Kelly Gay. She wrote the, I think, Kilo Trilogy, and she is now continuing the Forerunner um, arc that uh, Greg Bear started. Of course, Greg Bear passed away, unfortunately. Um, but I am hearing from a lot of Halo fans that this is the best Halo book that's ever released. Like many people are saying that, saying that the lore in this book is incredible. And um, of course, it's the return of the Didact uh, from Halo 4. And God, I wish I read books because I really want, would run to read this if I did. I, I don't know. I need to. You can, you can find like an audio book maybe. You can. If you're, you know. Yes. That's a good compliment. You, you, I didn't you, think about that as well. Yeah. That's you do fair. a lot of chores. You walk buck around a lot. That's Maybe true. Could be a way to do it. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. I'm, you know what, Christian, you're on to something. I'm gonna do that. That's a good idea. Thank you. Uh, also, big happy birthday to Halo Wars and Halo Wars Two. It is their anniversaries. Halo Wars Two seventh anniversary. Give us fucking Halo Wars Three. Anyways, that's it. Ro, what you got for me? Um, nothing this week, unfortunately. Haven't played any more Persona. Oh wait, yeah, that was Damn, that was a most good thing. But yeah, More that was the same thing that Rashan typed up above. Oh yeah, Rashan oh. and I were in the same wavelengths. He typed in talk about arcane. I typed in and okay. we're both talking about the same thing. Oh okay okay. Um, yeah, I watched I watched some of Avatar: The Last Airbender live action, but that's not a video game. That's all I did. <laughs> was it good? How was it? It was okay. <laughs> it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not as bad as M Knight's takeover. Definitely not. Like. Definitely <laughs> not. Yes. Definitely not. Christian, what you got for me? Uh, I got halfway through the Hideo Kojima Connecting Worlds documentary on Hulu and Disney. It's on both platforms. Actually, I don't, I don't know if it's on both, but I found it through Disney. It's a Hulu joint. Anyway, I, I didn't know what I was expecting out of it, but they kind of detail like a lot of Hideo's like early ventures into forming. Uh, the studio and working on the first Death Stranding throughout the first couple of years and like announcing it. And it's actually pretty cool to get some of the behind the scenes of what it was like building like the mechanics of that game. Uh, and so then seeing like what different like actors and directors are, are saying about Hideo. It's kind of interesting. I still have 30 minutes to go, so I don't, I don't have final thoughts, but so far it's pretty cool. Uh, and then just, just more Helldivers too. I'm working on a, on a video uh, for Dual Shockers that is on war and uh, like the aesthetics of war. So naturally, you got, you got to talk about Helldivers, too. And it's, it's, it's a fucking great piece that I'm writing. The writing isn't done. Uh, just yet. I'm going to give it another passive polish. But it's, it's a really cool fuck. I'm really excited for this piece to come together. So, yeah. And also, Helldivers, too. Just good. I'm, I'm on, what is it? I think I reached, like, level 31. Jesus. I played, played quite Insane. a bit. Oh, my Lord. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm now at the point where, like, I am comfortable with my, my stratagems per, depending on the mission that I'm doing. Uh, and with the right crew, we were able to do level eight pretty much no problem. Um, I have yet to try a hell dive though, and I'm kind of waiting to see when I get like a full four player squad going. But for now, at least level eight was like, we finished one mission. We're like, damn, give us a challenge. Cause we found we, we were so comfortable with, with our stratagem uses. Like I, I, I was fighting bio. I have clips. I've saved them of me running towards two bile titans to like shoot them in the face and taking both down it's great 
the one where you posted uh, stratagems coming down and you staring off. That was awesome. Oh, the emote with me, the, the, yeah, the hug right. emote with yeah. the nuke right in front of my face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did forget that I played uh, Helldivers with Guy and Gage. I tried to block that out of my memory because I was <laughs> defending myself for my life to Guy, who was constantly trying to kill me the entire match. Uh, and guess who kept killing him because he wasn't good enough to kill me? That's right. Uh, I saw everyone at home. Yeah, well, th those two play sessions le led into one another. So that was what happened right before we squatted yeah. up with you, Christian. Yeah. Yeah, I got off, went to bed because I was literally, my, I was falling asleep at the controller. And then I see the, you send the message, get back in here, Dan. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm about to pass the fuck out. <laughs> but yes, Gage. Democracy wasn't super important that night for Dan. Um, <laughs> I have. You bitch. Is this real? Is this from this week? It, look at the look at the look at the parentheses. All right. So I I booted up Sons of the Forest because it had its 1.0 release, only to jump in and see how my machine was handling it. If I remember the controls, X Y Z, just to kind of dip my feet back into the water. Uh, so I don't really have a whole lot to say about that. Other than that, I'm very excited to hopefully with Christian get into this. Uh, Christian and Dan and Dan. And Rashan, if he if he wanted to, if he was feeling tough, feeling brave, um, get into this. Um, very excited to get in. So that that's gonna be on the docket for, for that. Might, might might have more to say about that later in the coming weeks. Uh, Dan and I. Another thing, Dan forgot. With oh, his advanced. With well, his we advanced only memory paid like played like ten minutes of that. We played. We jumped into Dead Island two on Dan's request, and. Uh, I would say we, no. I we played about an hour. Hour we were talking because we were talking with Guy before we jumped into. That's that. true. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have enough to say on it other than that. It, it definitely feels like Dead Island, <laughs> like <laughs> for for whatever that's worth. It feels a lot like the Dead Island of old. Um, and then Helldivers played Helldivers with friend of the show Guy and Dan, and then I went on another tour with Christian shortly afterwards. Now, Christian just said that we were doing uh, level 8 missions, and after the mission ended, he was like, oh, that's, you know, give me a challenge. While he's that saying that, Guy and I are that sitting down crying, collecting ourselves, and, and Christian's like, oh, GG, easy. And it, it was not. It was not GG, easy. Um, it was terrifying. It was relentless. We didn't play level 8 with you guys. We did level 7. We did the second last one with you. We absolutely did, because you were talking about it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did, but Chris is saying we didn't. I'm pretty sure we did. But either way. Um Roll the yes, clip. Christian, Christian was showing us was showing us the ropes and leading us leading us to victory for democracy. Helldivers 2 continues to be a blast. Great game. Super excited for all the success that they're having. All the stars have aligned in this game, because it's one that like the CEO seems like he he knows what's what's up. The the community is acting fantastic. The sales numbers are great. Everything's just good. Everything's good. There's somebody that works at Arrowhead. His title is called the Game Master. And right. they refer to it as like sort of like the same as like a, a DM and D&D where like he's pretty much dictating all the major events that are happening in Helldivers Hell like for the community, which I think is like such a baller way to, to, to go about like content strategy right. for a game. What also like that guy gets to wake up every morning and that's his, like that's that's his job. That's awesome. Good for him. 
All right. We're going into the meat and potatoes of this episode, the sad part of this episode, the topic of the show. We're going to talk about how to fix AAA gaming. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we get there, we've got a lot, a lot of bad news to talk about. Uh, to start off, some industry layoff news. This isn't uh, developer layoffs, however, uh, very much uh, relevant as it is journalis uh, journalism uh, layoffs uh, in regards to the video game industry. GameStop has officially laid off uh, one more person from Game Informer, which you, you think you're like, man, one more person from Game Informer. That's probably not that many, you know, percentage wise. Somebody posted, actually, sorry, this is Alex Van Aken, uh, the video editor at Game Informer, posted a uh, graphic here of the current staff at Game Informer. Christian? Not just the video editor. The entire yeah. video team is just and has been Alex for months. Yes. Insane. And the reason that is is because there's only, what, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 people left at Game Informer. So one more person is literally one fourteenth of the, the staff that just got laid off. That's this used to be one of the biggest outlets ever, like in video yeah. game industry. It's crazy. Insane. Yeah. It's can't even imagine. And of course Alex also posts on Twitter, he said, Imagine looking at the number of people on this masthead who churn out weekly podcasts, videos, and daily online editorials, in addition to shipping an eighty-four page print magazine every six weeks, and somehow justifying cutting it even more. Awful. Awful. Blake will be missed. I, don't, I have no idea why they did it because that dude is like one of the smartest in the industry. Um, he has a podcast with Jacob Geller called Something Rotten. Um, f continuously like one of the most insightful podcasts on like just like games retrospectives that, that I've um, engaged with. So that sucks. Hope he lands on his feet somewhere else. And apparently uh, one of his duties was working with like freelancers and stuff to help actually make the, the magazine happen because of how, how, you know, strapped for people they are. And so now they literally don't have anyone that does that. So it's like, what the fuck is going to happen? Like that's, yeah, it's not good. Oh man. There was, a, there was another, outlet that just didn't cut some people they cut like everybody early or was it last year i don't remember who it was but then they made their own uh, they made second win? you tell me they, they yes. made second win oh yeah yes, yes i'm curious do you guys know remember i'm, I'm sure obviously you guys remember that but how is like second win doing because like, i imagine that like uh this this gentleman that just got fired uh he could do something like that since he's so well respected in the industry based off second one is doing very well i follow them and i keep up with they, they've they're very open because they're like fan funded now obviously right. they have to if they want to do it right. they have like they, they run off patreon and they have like a lot of of patrons i guess you call them okay. uh like they were like uh blowing away a lot of their early goals for like getting up and running and they're doing so well now that they hired a video essayist, Goodblood, to like do a, like a, a mini series. Like, Goodblood does all the motion graphics, but now he does also like a video stuff for them, like on a set, like a separate playlist. Right. But they're doing really, really well, and they, they do cool shit. 
Cold Take that's... is a good video series. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good to hear that. And that's what I was hoping to hear because I was I was I'm hoping that shit like this keeps happening, but I'm hoping the people that get affected by that still are able to do what they love because obviously they love it because they wouldn't be staying in this horrible industry for so long if they didn't. So hopefully they can find other avenues to do whether it be individually like the like the people that we just mentioned. But yeah, hopefully it doesn't happen as much. I hope Alex Van Aken doesn't lose his his position either because he's one of my favorite parts of Game Informer right now. But um, yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. I just I just hope that they get on their feet afterwards. Indeed, indeed. We wish all of these people affected the best. Yeah. Hopefully they can land on their feet and get back in there. Uh, that's what's difficult about, you know, not just the game industry, but the journalism game industry, because there's so many people that are talented getting laid off. And then you have so many new talented people trying to get in. And it's like, yeah, it's very frustrating. All right. Moving into some expectations before we talk about all of the massive layoffs. Suicide Squad has fallen short of Warner Brothers' expectations because, of course, it has. Uh, during a financial call, Warner Brothers Discovery Chief Financial Officer Gunnar Weidenfels uh, admitted that Rocksteady's game hadn't done the business the company that had hoped for since going on sale on February 2nd, priced at $70, saying it had fallen short of our expectations. They failed to mention a sales figure for Rocksteady's game, but did say Suicide Squad's failure had set up the company's games business for a tough year-on-year -year comparison. Last year, Warner Brothers Discovery re released Hogwarts Legacy, which went on to become the best-selling game of 2023. Uh, so in that comment right there, maybe what's the learning there, WB, to maybe just make single-player games that people love, like, you know your batman games that you made a trilogy out of that were fantastic and then you made this live service game and of course it failed and yeah I, the writing's on the wall for suicide squad but this is one of the uh issues with triple a games right now and in, in the industry is uh live service live service live service yeah and hopefully they are one of the fortunate studios they say that they're they're worried because of uh how it performed but uh hopefully they're one of the fortunate studios that gets a second chance <laughs> to make games again uh, and this is not the one that that puts them under and the studio closes in a couple of years or something um hopefully that doesn't happen i, I don't see it happening but it's happens to a bunch of other ones because higher-ups are making stupid decisions that uh yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get in, I guess we'll get into that in like once we're that, through the rest yeah. of the topic of the show news stories. But like you have to wonder with a bunch of rock uh, steady, like former like management leaving because of the way this game was shaping out. Like you wonder how much of it was was of this game was formulated by like, as Rose said, like those higher ups that like dictate you do this kind of game because these types of games make presumably profit and, and growth for shareholders and like that's what ends up being made it's like well obviously that's not the case yeah definitely backfired on them all right let's dig into the layoffs we don't want to but it's the meat meat here this is where all the announcements are 
not good announcements. But, uh, Supermassive has announced mass layoffs. Uh, they weren't specific uh, with how many layoffs, but Jason Schreier did apparently write before the announcement that the British developer planned to lay off around 90 workers. Um, of course, Supermassive made Until Dawn, uh, the Dark Pictures Anthology, uh, as well as what was the more recent game? I'm trying to remember. The Quarry. The Quarry. Um, so they made all of those games. Uh, yeah. Not good for Supermassive, a uh, smaller smaller team there. Do we want do you want me to go over all of these and then have a discussion about the layoffs? Yeah, that's probably okay. best. Yeah. All right, all right. So then we uh you know, we're like, ah, oh, we're good. That was just ninety people, no more the rest of the year. We're good the rest of the year. Nope. Deck nine also announced layoffs, uh, which they posted on Twitter, like many others in the game industry right now, Deck 9 has been affected by the game industry's worsening market conditions. Today, we made the difficult decision to lay off 20% of our staff. These people are amazing, talented, and awesome developers. They have made a huge impact during their time at Deck 9 Games, and we did not take this decision lightly. Please hire these people if you can. They're amazing. Um, and then I also put one bright spot to this uh, was this deck nine had a layoff today and leadership took pay cuts to keep the number down as much as possible. This is the strongest team deck nine has ever been. And it absolutely sucks that the industry is in the state that it is in presently. Um, and that comes from the game one of the game directors at deck nine who stated that so a tiny bright bright spot in what's uh awful news obviously um but moving on from there we get into the real big announcement here uh which is that sony has announced an eight percent cut to their playstation staff which is equating to about 900 jobs uh i have a shitload of news stories here attached to this i'm realizing uh, PlayStation has a statement that they put out as well, um, but I'll, I'll just start here with Tom Warren, uh, who said they're laying off 900 employees. Sony's London studio in the UK is closing fully with reductions at the Fire Sprite studio and impacts to employees across all regions. Um, Sony's statement... Uh, it is important to provide you with updates uh, about the business as often as possible. Today, I'm writing with sad news. Through discussions over the past few months about the evolving economic landscape, changes in the way we develop, distribute, and launch products, and ensuring our organization is future-ready in this rapidly changing industry, we have concluded that tough decisions have become inevitable. The leadership team and I made the incredibly difficult decision to restructure operations, which regrettably includes a reduction in our workforce, impacting very talented individuals who have contributed to our success. After careful consideration and many leadership discussions over several months, it has become clear changes need to be made to continue to grow the business and develop the company. We had to step back, look at our business holistically, and move forward, focusing on the long-term sustainability of the company and delivering the best experiences possible for our community. The goal is to streamline our resources to ensure our continued success and ability to deliver experiences gamers and creators have come to expect from us. Um, 
So they they go into it a, a bit further, uh, discussing that they wanted to be transparent as as transparent as possible, saying nine hundred people, eight percent of their workforce were affected. Uh, for all of you in the U.S., all impacted employees will be notified today. In the U.K., it is proposed different verbiage there. Uh, it is proposed that PlayStation Studios London studio will close in its entirety. There will be reductions in Fire Sprite Studio, and there will be reductions in various functions across SIE in the UK. In Japan, we will implement a next career support program. Details will be communicated separately. In other countries, we will begin conversations with those who are potentially at risk or impacted as a result of this proposed course of action. Of course, very different language for depending on what country you're in, which shows how terrible the U.S. is in terms of uh, supporting people that are laid off, which is not yes. good. Um, we also got a, a statement from Insomniac Games. Like several other teams across SIE and PlayStation Studios, Insomniac Games was impacted by yesterday's layoffs. There are no sufficient words to express our feelings about it. This is a solemn and unprecedented moment for our studio. We are focusing our energy on helping everyone affected through this challenging time. For those who are hiring, these are great people seeking new roles who made important contributions to Insomniac's history. We're extremely grateful for them and they will be missed. Um, and then, of course, we'll follow up with another Tom Warren uh, tweet, which, of course, as I just read there, Insomniac Games is impacted. Naughty Dog is impacted. Of course, London Studio, Gorilla, and, of course, Fire Sprite, as I already mentioned. So a lot of big studios getting affected as well. Uh, and then we got a look at uh, someone kind of pointing fun because just five days ago, Jim Ryan was visiting Sony London studio and uh, they were saying farewell to him as he was retiring. And you know fucking damn well, Jim Ryan. Like, this had to have been in the works for a decent amount of time. And you know damn well Jim Ryan knows that those fucking people are about to be laid off and he's going to stand there in the middle of them. God, fuck, Jim. Right. Uh, I don't know. Allowing uh, himself to be the to, to be the you know center of attention at that party and everybody wish him, yeah. Right. Bad optics, yeah. Uh, and also, in case you were wondering, well, like, what do you have to do to deserve getting laid off like this? Well, you know... You could be Fire Sprite Studios, who wins an award, a dice award for immersive reality technical achievement for Horizon Call of the Mountain, and you know a bunch of them right. were laid off. Uh, we also, what else we got? Yes, we already talked about that. The different countries uh, handling things differently. The U.S. You're done today. In the UK, we're proposing to regulators the cuts and we'll let you know. In Japan, you'll actually get a career program, support program to help you find a new gig. Very different in different countries. U.S., awful. Thank God. Uh, and lastly, for the Sony piece, Sony has reportedly canceled an unannounced Twisted Metal live service game as part of today's mass layoffs. All that PlayStation news. I think the Twisted Middle game, I think, was also from Fire Sprite. They were doing, they, okay. they were the ones doing a, like, um, rumored to be, like, a Battle Royale game, I think, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, you already mentioned it. Like, what a disgusting thing to do to go travel to your going away 
retirement party, whatever it is, and then knowing full well that you're signing off on on closing the entire studio down just days later. The fire sprite one is, I think, just as evil for me. Where, like, they're the only ones, the only ones that have made a product that is actually supporting PSVR 2 from a first-party standpoint. Like, they own them now, right? And how are they rewarded? I mean, obviously with the Dice Award, but, like, rewarded with cuts. Like, really? Like, why would I be wanting to invest in, in a PSVR 2, well, let alone, like, a Sony console now? Like, any kind of, like, what are we doing? And it's Sony's failures because they haven't supported the PSVR 2. Like, that that thing was dead on arrival. Like, it's not, you know, you're blaming the developer, Sony, but yet you need to look at yourself in the mirror because, like, the reason the game didn't sell is because the, the actual platform didn't sell that well. Again, like... Go ahead. The wildest thing to me, again, is is the cuts made to first-party successful studios. Mm. Like, people have already pointed out that, like, the best-selling game ever for Sony. It doesn't matter how successful you are, you're going to have cuts. Why? Because at the end of the day, a shareholder wants to make, wants to see growth for their next quarter. And how do you do that? Well, you just, you know, cut a bunch of people. That way you keep costs down and you end up on a spreadsheet it looks like we're actually growing but really you're not like you're gutting literally everything and you're making making it horrible to even get stuff even made yeah yeah we're we're we're, we are regressing i can't know why i couldn't say regressing we are regressing uh by cutting all these people and yeah it's awful and we still have one more to talk about that was fresh right before the pod. And that is, of course, we talked about Marcus Leto earlier leaving Ridgeline Games. Apparently, he didn't know about this, or maybe, I don't know, he seemingly didn't know about it. Uh, EA has announced 680 layoffs, about 5% of their staff uh, and they also said that they are planning to move away from future licensed IP to double down on owned IP, sports, and online communities. Uh, they also uh, have a bit more details here from Shinobi602 on Twitter. Great resource. Thank you, Shinobi. Uh, more on EA. Respawn's unannounced Star Wars FPS game that we just talked about two weeks ago, I think, the Mandalorian possible game has been canceled. Ridgeline Games, of course, we talked about uh, Marcus Leto earlier that he was leaving Ridgeline. Ridgeline Games, which was working on a single-player Battlefield experience, is being shut down. Development on the next Mass Effect will continue with Bioware's focus currently on Dragon Age, which I said this in our chat. How the fuck is Dragon Age Dreadwolf not out yet? I have no clue. Insane. Uh, and the last bit of the EA news, Marcus Leto uh, posted after all of this happened and said, gut punch to see EA lay off my team. So many very talented devs who are incredibly valuable to the Battlefield franchise. Um, and there's also information that I didn't see that was underneath that coming from Bravo Intel that says as part of today's layoffs, their uh, Ridgeline was, sh was shut down. However, Battlefield's narrative work is now being led by Criterion Games. 
since the t- what like Criterion made Burnout and fucking uh, right, right racing games. Yeah, and we're just gonna hand Criterion the narrative reins to Battlefield now. I guess it's such a yeah. It's just like corporate restructuring and like shuffling things around in a way that like clearly indicates that they don't understand like this isn't a retail store where you can just change people's duties and like okay this isn't this is your new job now like this is art and like i think that not to bring up arcane for the millionth time but you said you were watching arcane and you said it's something it's a product that you can feel that there is passion and that they cared about it like video games are the same a lot of the best games that we play like helldivers is a great example helldivers is not the best looking game i've ever seen it's probably not even in the top 10 that have released like recently but you're playing it and you can feel that people cared about it because everything comes together in, in such a way that like you can just feel the love and so like not only are all these people getting laid off these things are getting canceled but like just when they come in they say yeah uh, all this stuff that these people have worked on especially when it comes to a narrative side of these video games like these plot threads and all these characters that these people have been working on and writing yeah uh, now sorry we're going to give it to like you said the burnout team the the racing team and like sure that'll work out great i i'm sure that'll be great that'll that, that'll end up really good this is ridiculous this is just it's getting to a point where it's just untenable and i would love to, i would love to see somebody do a deep dive as to what exactly the end game is be- like are companies doing this to prepare their workforce for like the introduction of ai like is this just the start of these companies being like yeah we're going to try and reduce our headcount by like 20 30% and fill all these positions with just with with AI, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here, but it's it's crazy because the video game industry as a whole keeps making more money year after year. That's the thing. That's what gets me. And I would love for somebody smarter than myself to explain it to me because uh, I don't understand how these games companies could be making more and more money each year and be laying off more and more people. So, anyways, Criterion's yeah writing the story of the next Battlefield. That'll it's good. Oh God, I, I mean, I guess. On that front, revenue is wouldn't be the same as growth because it's making more money, but they're also spending way more money to make the shit. I guess which that's is the fair, th- yeah. which is the same thing as like movies. I, I have to talk about I have to talk about movies for a little bit. Um, Patrick Williams has a great video essay, which is like a murder mystery two hour video essay on like who killed cinema or one hour something like that. And like the answer is obviously like it's multifaceted, but like they talk he talks a lot about like you know, the MCU-ification of cinema where, like, a, a lot of the stuff being made was stuff that was chasing MCU style of, like, not gonna get too deep into it, but it was, like, a lot of the same stuff is being fed to viewers, and so when when so much of the same stuff is being made, then you kind of grow tired of it after a while. But then he, like, also talks about, like, executives, like, Warner Brothers executives kind of uh, making just horrible decisions. We saw, uh, of course, we're seeing that now with, like, Zazlav and, and you know, a lot of mergers, um, movies being shelved for no fucking reason. Um, and the heart of it is like, is, is really just like shareholders forcing these kinds of things on, on studios or whatever. And I, I point to Apple TV for whatever reason, Apple TV came into the market very recently and they got on the, on, onto the movie front and they reached out to Martin Scorsese 
And they gave Martin Scorsese a shit ton of money. They gave him $200 million to make whatever he wanted, and he made Killers of the Flower Moon. At the box office, Killers of the Flower Moon made $156.9 million. This could be called a flop because it did not make its money back. But that isn't the point. The point is, Martin Scorsese worked with Apple TV to make whatever he wanted something. That is saying something. That is saying something to every studio and director out there being like, if you want to make a cool movie, Apple TV, Apple TV will be the place to do it. You will go work for them because they don't care about the money. They want cool shit to be made at Apple TV. That is like the thesis of, of hiring Martin Scorsese, Scorsese to do that. You look at games. It's like, are we really doing that anymore? I look to the PlayStation stuff, them cutting the UK stuff, like on their global market, like largely speaks volumes about the kind of shit that is going to come out of Sony for years to come. I don't want a US centric Sony to be making video games. I don't because the US is really fucking boring when it comes to making games. Look at PlayStation UK and PlayStation US's Twitter accounts. Those things are very much different. UK one is far superior. They have the edge. Like there, there's like a UK scene that was built around PlayStation dating back to the PS2 and PlayStation 1 era. It is, a, it is a tragedy to see much of that brand and identity just melt away because shareholders wanted to see numbers higher on a spreadsheet for the upcoming quarter. What is that going to mean years down the line when like there's nothing left of the industry? Like, what kind of games are going to be made from a, an industry like that? Not ones that I want to play, to be honest. I don't want a lot of the same shit. I don't want games that cost fucking $300 million to make when they really don't have an impact on me. Do you know what I mean? Sad shit. Yeah, yeah and like you, you, don't see, you don't see Sony or Microsoft or any of those uh, executives um, that are announcing these layoffs or, or people in charge uh, that are announcing these layoffs taking pay cuts like deck nine's uh leadership is doing like you don't see that kind of stuff and you don't see the shareholders saying oh no we're good we've got you know six percent profit we're we're good with that we're making money we're fine you don't see any of that shit it's all we need more we need more the fucking pro the shareholders you're exactly right christian they just continuously demand more and more and more and more and it's just extremely toxic towards the growth of a studio or a publisher or whatever uh yeah it's not a good but situation and like when i when i wrote down the question or like when you said like, how do we fix the games industry it's it's, a, it's not one that really has an answer because in a perfect world it would be awesome if we could just make shit for the art and have that be enough? But the answer is, well, of course it's not going to be. So then what do you do? And I mean, in that DualShockers pilot that I did for like saving the video games industry using PS2 logic, it was like, yeah, you have to harken back to the same thing Twitter has been saying time and time again, which is you want games that are don't cost as much money to make for less money. Like if you really want to see growth happen, you make a game on a smaller scale, scale with a budget that's smaller. And hopefully, I mean, because it's hard, make a product that you actually believe in, like the case of Helldivers 2 that is suffering from success. Like that is how you get a win in this industry moving forward is you have to scale everything back. Otherwise, like how Gage said, it is actually untenable. Or like we've talked about before also, like uh, I feel like the industry has very much gone away from having developers having multiple teams, like such a small idea 
I think multiple teams is huge for the sustainability of a studio because you have a small team working on like something super distant in the future or a small team working on a small game and you have your main team working on, you know, whatever main game you have going on. I feel like there's so much more diversity and uh, more imagination in terms of what we're getting out of the studio when you have multiple teams and anymore it's like Naughty Dog now is just a one studio fucking adventure now like they every single one there works on the same game uh you know bungie even back in the day when they were working on halo they always had multiple teams working on stuff they they had halo reach and halo 3 odst working at the same time they had destiny that was already being started in the background uh like there's so many like great projects that come out of having smaller teams working on stuff while your main team is you know, cooking on, on the main thing. And I just feel like we don't see that anymore. Obsidian with Grounded, right? They yeah. had a small offshoot making Grounded, and that ended up being a huge game. Yeah. Can you believe that Naughty Dog went from making four games in in six years to making two in ten? That's crazy. That's crazy when you say that. And four great games. Three in The Last of Us in, seven, in like six to seven years. And those are all great games. Like, that's crazy. I I want to throw something in here to kind of counteract the doom and gloom, which is that we talk about, like, shareholders, like Dan mentioned, shareholders, they just want more and more and more, and it, it, it's, it's, this, this is the effect it's having in the industry. This is what that looks like in, in, in the art space for digital art. Um, the upside to this is that because there is one key company that, as of right now, has not adopted this uh, this sort of mindset, and that's Steam. Um, and the reason that's important is that I was just thinking about it just now as we were talking. If Xbox, Microsoft, and let's just say Nintendo, even though they're in their own little world, let's say Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, all close their doors completely no more it's gone those parent companies want nothing to do with those brands anymore steam will still be the place to find new experiences like your pummel parties like your lethal companies like that like there will always be people i guess one man shows you know teams of five ten people that will still make new games and that as long as a platform like steam exists where they are extremely consumer, pro-consumer, uh, uh, pro-developer, then at least we'll have that for us. <laughs> and we might see, I, maybe as a, as a, as a like, similar to what Christian was saying, as an industry, we, we might see everything kind of scale back to the point where people are just making really small games in the hopes that they get a following. Because we've seen that, like, the guy that made Lethal Company, he totally could hire probably a few developers now and scale up for his next game, which will be a little bit bigger than the already super small Lethal Company. And then if that game gets successful, then, you know, that that sort of pattern keeps continuing. So I guess that's the one saving grace is that even even with all this corporate nonsense, that gaming as an idea can't really be kind of crushed now because we're so far into it. And like I said, as long as we have a, a safe haven like Steam... That, that allows anyone to publish a game to their to their platform as long as it's not you know complete fucking malware um 
<laughs> the like gaming could get broken down to it to its tiniest piece and it'll still kind of slowly grow back i think at, at the very least but um the fact that these massive studios with the, with the most amount of resources and the most amount of talent are the ones that are you know cutting the most is definitely it's it's fucking ridiculous i, I know that's the part that makes me the most upset out of all this because i do completely agree with gauge where um if like like if all the big guys went away, there'll still be people making games because we can't help it. We just like to create games. We like to create art and all that stuff. And I will play those games, but I I don't think there's a there's a reason that we shouldn't be able to have both because these companies make so much money and right. the people at the top don't have to make that much money. So we could have both. It's just that the people at the top aren't making the right decisions or being greedy or whatever, and affecting the people that do want to make those games like. Um, yeah, so I I completely agree with what Gage says, and I hope we will always have places like Steam. But I think the people at the top need to get their shit together because they can get their shit together. And it's just them being assholes. They don't have to do what they're doing. I understand the recession and the money and all that kind of stuff, but it's they always start from the bottom instead yeah. of from the top. <laughs> and it's because they don't want to make less money. And I, I, I want to make as much money as possible too. I get it. But like <laughs> at a certain point, you're just you're just evil for being evil and sure. yeah so that's i get i i totally agree with what gage is saying but there's no reason that we can't have can't have both yeah uh gee also makes a great point uh and thank you gee for joining us uh he said when i was a kid i could have asked for a couple of triple a games for christmas now one game is 90 plus dollars <laughs> of course canadian uh yeah. so now the cheaper indie games are getting big numbers and he, he's right you know triple a games have gotten so expensive to buy that you do wonder if you know families can't afford to buy you know as many triple a games because of that and you know the those ballooning budgets are becoming unsustainable because on the back end people people can't afford afford to buy them well, it's it's funny because Christian earlier mentioned how this problem is multifaceted, and he's absolutely true. Like, there's no like as much as the shareholders are kind of like exacerbating the issue and are the main target that we can point to, they're not the only issue. The issue is that this is just kind of late stage capitalism. In that, realistically, video games could be priced higher and still be affordable. But the problem is, is that the the wages of the average worker have not kept up with anything else. So, like, if you think about it, like, yeah, the cost of video games has ballooned. But if the wages of the average worker have kind of have if they had ballooned as well as they should have compared to CEO pay and say, like, you know, somebody who works at McDonald's was making like, you know, fifty thousand dollars a year. And that was like the low end of what you could make. And, you know, uh, if you were working uh, in a field like a journalist and you were making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and that was average, well, then you know, companies could ask for $120 for a game. That would be no problem. So, like, it's the fact that not outside of the video game industry, just the average person is just getting screwed, right? And so, because everything else costs more, you can't really tell technology to, like, oh, sorry, we, you know, we can't utilize all of you. It's like, no, that's not how it works. It's an, it's an objective thing that you have to sort of work at. The cost of making video games has gone up, but the cost of or the amount of money that people make and that have have the ability to spend has not gone up. So th there's so many issues, and a lot of it just comes down to late stage capitalism and and how this is uncharted waters. We've never been here before. Greed is running rampant. But if more people had more money to spend, 
that would solve all of, a lot of these issues in that people would be able people would be able to charge more for the games that they make they'd be able to invest more resources into the games they make and then the people that play video games that like to s- spend time with video games we'd be willing to give more because we'd have more to give it's just a whole fucking shit show shit show indeed uh i do have one more thing to to ask you guys here are console game or consoles i'm sorry actually holding back gaming so like this ties into the conversation of AAA gaming and is it becoming us unsustainable and are consoles holding back games as a whole like AAA games so uh Final Fantasy Rebirth, uh, this comes from this, uh, has a performance versus quality mode on console um, with people saying consoles holding back gaming and showing two different uh, pictures, essentially, of of the two modes. And the quality mode is, you know, significantly better, as you would expect a quality mode to be. But, like, I feel like many people's first assertions by this is that man consoles are holding back gaming like look what it could be on pc but i also would i would counter that argument with they also incredibly help with optimization for developers when they're optimizing for a specific platform so if you have a graphics card on your pc that is you know a few years old you have something comparable to to play because they're making uh making content for a console that has comparable hardware maybe you can make the argument that there's certain games that couldn't be made that are multi-platform uh that are being held back but personally i feel like i feel like consoles make i feel like consoles make the gaming world better and triple a games better because they're optimized better for um those platforms which then in turn should optimize better for pcs as well although that doesn't always happen either <laughs> i don't know yeah um i'm not huge on the technical stuff in this whole uh game industry stuff i but like in all in all i think consoles are beneficial for the average gamer in general it's gotten worse. Obviously, we talked about what we were just talking about with the affordability of everything, um, but it is the the most affordable uh, way to get into gaming as opposed to getting a, a PC that could run it better and make it look better and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I think I think they should definitely optimize the games as best as they can if they're going to be charging as much as they are. Um, but I don't think it's. I don't know if it's holding it it back. I, I don't think I see it that that way. Um, because I think I would, they're doing inc- incredible stuff on, on console. Yeah. I would say, if anything, I, w- I would actually say the opposite, in that because you have a set parameter that you have to launch your game on, especially if it's, if it's a game that is being designed as multi-platform for the start, and maybe there isn't one specific target uh, platform. The console... I feel like console games... Well, we actually we saw this with, Lar- with Larian Studios, right? Where they... Um, in an effort to bring their game to Series S, they dis- they discovered an optimization right. pool that ended up affecting all platforms, right? So, if anything, I would say, if consoles didn't exist, gaming might be worse, in that there's a lot of PC-exclusive games that come out, or or even uh, ports for, for multi-platform games that land on PC that uh, are so poorly optimized. And 
it comes down to what I'd imagine is just that because of how powerful PC components are nowadays, like with the 40 series, uh, especially the high-end 40 series, that to me, a lot some of these games, I definitely get like the vibe of, oh, well, these cards are just so powerful, let's just kind of throw it on there and people will be able to run it, as opposed to optimizing it to the best of your abilities. So I think consoles being around, even in the, even in the presence and company of, of super powerful PCs, is a good thing because having that box that you need to fit your game within uh, can lead to performance benefits on all platforms. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I don't really have anything else um, for this segment. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts about, uh, of course, the layoffs are absolutely awful, and I hope that all these people find uh, new jobs and hopefully with better companies that want to keep the, them, actually. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's all in all not great. Um, hopefully hopefully the year of layoffs ends because, man, the two months that we've already had, I think already su- surpasses what we had last year, and last year was already bad. So right. I, think, I think it's over like eight or 9,000 now as of today. That's crazy. And last month's total, or sorry, last year was a total of like sixteen thousand, so something like that. That's insane. Insane. Do better, people at the top, and shareholders. You know what? Become okay with not doing better. Maybe is also the uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, also yeah. The, uh, good point. Like, you know what? If the rest of us are expected to to go through recessions and cut back on spending, maybe just maybe the people that uh, just invest for a living and have passive incomes, maybe you guys should get okay with you know not getting as much of a return some years. <laughs> maybe maybe that's the answer. But I don't know. What am I? I'm just a fucking lowly worker. <laughs> Blue collar. I'm just yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Good segment, guys. Thank you. And thank you to everyone that is watching us live and participating in the chat. I don't know why I said that. That's the wrong That's the wrong one. That's the intro. Uh, joining us live on YouTube and Twitch, as well as podcast services everywhere, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Thank you, Ro. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Gage. I am Daniel, and this has been Podcast PXN, and we are out. Much love, and keep on gaming. See ya. Happy Leap Day tomorrow.